Welcome back to Simon & Whiten, the podcast at the Center of Media, Business, and Politics. I'm Christian Whiten, joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, please say hello. Hey, everybody. Hello from Taipei. Well, Mark, yes, you're in Taipei. We've had an election here, midterm elections in the United States. It looks it's inconclusive at this point. Um, the count continues. It looks like Republicans will narrowly pick up the House. Um, the Senate, uh, at best for Republicans, will be decided December 6th in a runoff in Georgia. But the big red wave did not materialize. Uh, what are people thinking and saying in Taiwan and the rest of Asia about this outcome? First of all, I think the overall uh, impression in Taiwan among the foreign policy friends of mine, and I've talked to two guys, um, both of whom are DPP, but they're all, you know, one of them is in office and very senior, the other one's retired. Um, they both look at this as a good thing. They were actually quite worried about the sentiment on the right of them, of the right getting too strong and like a Marjorie Taylor Greene and some of this, and this some of this quote unquote, latent Trumpism. In other words, Trump was never really trusted uh, by uh, the Taiwanese and, and also in some other places in Asia. Um, I think, you know, remember my experiences with the Trump administration in Hong Kong, the administration was fabulous. I mean, Mike, Mike Pence was wonderful, Pottinger, Kellogg, everybody, Tom Rose. These were, these were great guys. State Department was fantastic. But you know, we used to bite our hands and cringe if the whole idea of Trump actually saying something because he really doesn't care about human rights. He really thought he could get trade deals and money, 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 you know, all that going back and forth. So mm -hmm. there's always been distrust of him. Essentially, I think they're happy with what's happening. The Biden administration has been sufficiently hawkish with China. Um, there's strong bipartisan support. Um, they're very comfortable with McCarthy if he wins. They're happier if Pelosi wins, probably. Um, I would be I would be very blunt about that. We have to remember Taiwan is a left leaning country. In other words, it's, it, it, it is one of the things here that's always drives the left in Taiwan crazy. Is that they have better relationship with the anti-communist Republicans than they do with the with the other ones. Ben Rhodes was just here, the former Obama guy. And of course, I, I wonder what kind of business he was doing here. I'm sure we're going to see like the Obama Foundation here in like a year doing a big doing something big, you know, where they were like, unlike the Clinton people who would come in and say what you want, they wanted you to say, Obama will probably come in and tell Taiwan to surrender. Um, you know, <laughs> but but Ben Rhodes came here and, you know, he was, you know, he was like, oh, my God, you know, Taiwan, it's this great place and loves the culture, but really wouldn't say anything in this long Atlantic piece um, that he wrote that's out there um, that really helps Taiwan. So they're, they're overall happy. I talked to one Japanese reporter friend um, who does the foreign policy stuff because he called me for some for information about the U.S. thing. The Japanese are probably fine with it as well. Um, the overriding thing is, and I know this just is the, 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 the fun thing, is they really get the fact that Trump was a drag on the ticket. They really get it. They, you know, they, yeah. they just don't understand. Most of the political people here, left or right, are pretty serious people. And so a guy like Trump, just they just they they, they get it. They see his appeal and stuff like that. Taipei's got Mayor Ku. You know what I'm saying? There's 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 different p dynamic politicians in Asia. But I think they actually they're pretty good at U.S. politics. They're not they're not that bad. And they're like, whoa, you know what happened? Now I will say this in Hong Kong. 
I, I think they don't really care. And in China, they don't really care. But yeah. I think my takeaway from this, from, from China, is I think the Chinese are doing an assessment of the American people. And I think it came out negatively. I think it actually raised my concern a little bit. I think they see the American people as not all that serious in demanding candidates or having a direction. In, in other words, um, a, a lot of times if you look at people and you look at some of these candidates out there, I think it basically, if you're in the CCP, once again, you're like, hey, you know what? These guys, they're just not serious people. You know, right, right, right. Well, candidates in how they vote. To jump in here quickly. So, yeah, so sort of as, as a right winger, I wish Asians were more upset in the sense I wish they thought, gee, Republicans would expand the Navy and expand the Air Force and increase our force posture in the Pacific in order to deter war, that we would encourage the Japanese to go to 2% of GDP, that we'd come up with some coherent strategy, uh, a foreign policy based around like a Reaganist um, view of human rights that is a form of political warfare against our, our uh, adversaries, not just a woke crusade around the world, the flying rainbow flags off of embassies, but caring about dissidents like Jimmy Lai, like others yeah. who are fighting our primary enemy, um, you know, sort of the whole uh, spectrum of a foreign policy, but we don't have that. And actually, this is one of my many gripes about Ukraine. I understand the desire to help Ukraine and to make life harder on Russia if it's going to invade countries, but uh, <clears throat> it means that essentially congressional Republicans have the same foreign policy as Joe Biden. I mean, yeah. do you sense that as a problem there that, that Asians are sort of like, eh, you know, we don't see a whole lot of difference, a whole lot of change um, uh, regardless of who's running which committees in Congress? I, I think in one sense that's okay because I think the Democrats have come around on China a lot, you know, except for the left. And our, unfortunately, the right. I mean, we've got the Marjorie Taylor Greene and the nut job, you know, plants there. Um, so in that sense, but no, I think overall that's that this, the, I'd have to agree with the point that basically they're looking around. They don't see much difference. I mean, let me ask you, I mean, all right, you've, if, say, you have 223, 224 Republicans, um, 220 Republicans or something like that, which is not a, not a big thing, from a foreign policy point of view, what does the House do? I mean, the only thing I think they do is build more submarines and build more stuff, because then you can go, like, up to the Newport News Mafia, and you got 25 votes there for new submarines. You know what I'm saying? So all of a sudden, submarines pass with 260. You get the 10 are the eight or 10 Democratic votes in the Northeast for new submarines. And so Biden is forced to buy new submarines, probably buy some new helicopters from Skahorsky, you know, out in California, we'll get a few things. So I see defense spending going up. I mean, do you see that? I, I, I don't know. I, I guess, yes, in the sense that Congress has, I mean, when you have divided Congress, spending tends to go up in general because they it's not that, well, people sort of X out or veto other people's spending. Actually, everyone gets everything. That's the way they get to yes on the budget. Uh, you know, yes for more, uh, you know, with Obama, it was it was that way. It was, uh, you know, we're going to cut $2 of defense for every dollar of domestic spending. There weren't any cuts at all, except really to defense. I would take it if they'd spend more on submarines. I think that is an area we still have an advantage. You know, let me do a quick digression, though. So the Chinese, if they invade Taiwan, if they attack Taiwan, aren't going to make it easy for us. Uh, politically, they'd make it easy for us if they tacked our bases on Okinawa at first. That would bring the U.S. and Japan in, without a doubt. Um, and it would be something we could understand, something we could perhaps thwart. Um, 
let's say instead that they round up their fishing fleet. So instead of a troop carrier or an amphibious assault ship with 500 or 5,000 Chinese troops coming across the Taiwan Strait, instead you have you know hundreds, maybe even a thousand large fishing vessels. And then even if we do have submarines out there, you know, so you're driving around, you're the captain uh, driving a three billion dollar brand new submarine. And if you see a troop ship or uh, a Chinese destroyer, a Chinese aircraft carrier, are you going to use one year, you know, half million dollar torpedoes or million dollar missiles against this thing? Sure. But are you going to use that against the fishing vessel if there are hundreds of them? And also, you're going to give away your position when you fire that first shot. Uh, I'm not an expert on this. You have more of a naval background. But am I thinking well, I, in the terms of I, I, I think, first of all, um, the, uh, the, 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 the Chinese fishing fleets um the US Coast Guard just had a just had an interaction with them down off Ecuador and the Chinese fishing fleets were very aggressive. Um I think we have to come up with an operational way how to handle them. My understanding is the probable way is basically we're going to put like we're going to get small frigates or we're going to get patrol boats or something like that and on the top of each of them we're going to put like 250 calibers and 20 millimeters and we're just going to shoot the engines out, in other words. And then if you're doing that, then the Chinese would have to escalate. In other words, if the fishing vessels are, are causing that problem, the Chinese would have to escalate. I, I think they're going to need to start considering how we deal with them, because I think that's a very good point. Uh, Greg Tarot over at Reuters has always been very good on this stuff. Um, I, every once in a while, some think tank in D.C. goes, the Chinese merchant fishing fleet. And a guy comes up and I'm going like, yeah, we've known about this for years. Ask the Filipinos, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, I actually went off, I, I actually went off uh, 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 Jolo and the area down there years and years ago when I was in shipping. And, and this was in the late 90s. And the Chinese fishing fleet was a problem. And they were fishing. That was the problem. I mean, that was even, you know, they weren't just, you know, getting paid to sit there. Um, it's a very complicated situation. Would they come off the Upper West Coast? Those are very rough waters, you know what I'm saying? Um, that's the type of place that people run from, you know, probably every other week. You have to get out of there because of a storm coming through. You know, you're, that's, that's where you're talking. You're talking basically, uh, 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 you know, west of the, um, uh, the, the islands, you know, west of Okinawa. I'm sorry, east of Okinawa. Um, that gets very rough water very, very fast. Um, you know, and I know that from shipping. I mean, that's the regular place of eight foot, nine foot waves, uh, seven foot waves. So can they bob around out there much longer? I'm not sure. But your point is, if they're ever going to do a boycott and a blockade of Taiwan, they're going to use the fishing vessels and they'll use the fishing vessels, hoping the Taiwanese do something so they can come to the aid of their fishing wow. fleet that is basically able to able to stand there now will they be able to come to the aid of them on the on the on the on the on the west coast of the island i'm not sure i also you know i've, I've been invited to the after drinks party of the of the war party with the war the war games you know what i'm saying the after party um and and so i go i've been to four or five of those um just you know where they have people in town and they're looking for folks who enjoy the dinner in fact i went to one with jack keen and paul wolfowitz one time and uh <laughs> it was interesting um Almost everyone I've been to, they don't believe the Chinese will leave Okinawa and now those southern Japanese islands alone. Because they, they if, you're, if, you're, if you're a naval commander, if you're somebody, 
are you really going to leave some F-15 squadrons down there, some Marine Harrier squadrons and attack attack helicopters? You know, people forget those attack helicopters can come out 250, 300 miles, loiter for 30, 40 minutes, and then come back. You know, so, you know, you could be dealing with Apaches with, you know, anti-ship missiles, um, you know, 300, and they're just cruising along, you know, 100, 100 feet above the water. Very, very hard to shoot down from anything over the horizon, you know. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's really difficult to say what's going to happen. But I will say this, you know, since I'll, I'll, I'll move the subject, I think that when we look at what's happened recently in, in Taiwan, this is my favorite new thing. This guy gets his little thing. <laughs> I did that because I'm telling you, this guy has got the whole region up in arms. I just think he moved too early. Everybody's aware now, you know. Now, the Taiwanese aren't worth a, aren't worth a shit, to be honest with you, when it comes to preparing for this stuff. It's one of the things I think the Americans, we really are not critical enough of them. Everybody shows over up over here. Everybody says the nice things to the Taiwanese. But for those of us who are on the ground, for those of us who have visited military bases, for those of us who smoke cigars with guys with two stars on their shoulders, who are good guys, who are good people, they'll tell you they don't have what they need. They don't have enough. Seriously, I challenge anybody that they don't have enough anti-air and anti-ship missiles to last more. And I'm giving them credit than three weeks. OK, and that's considering the Chinese take out 30, 40 percent. If the Chinese take out none, they last for four weeks. All right. They don't have enough small arms to equip their troops. They literally had a, they literally had a poster of a guy standing on a beach with a pistol defend Taiwan. <laughs> Who comes up with that stuff? You know what I'm saying? I mean, my point is, is like, so I think, and we just saw, you know, Xi Jinping, he's basically making it very clear. I'm coming over there sooner or later. And, and do you so believe think, that? Yeah, I mean, because this all sounds very alarming. It sounds like going back to 1939 when U.S. troops in a very small army, when I was in conscription started in 1940, yeah. they were using like broomsticks and, and they were, you know, firing at uh, an old model T that had tank written on the side of it as practice was wholly unequipped. So scary. But yeah, what do you think politically about so everyone? It's weird. There's been the shift from, oh, no, no one's going to invade Taiwan to Taiwan will be invaded by 2027. Um, do you take Xi at his word that he wants to, you know, yeah, quote, unquote, resolve this at some point? I, 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 you know, I came to this conclusion 20 years ago. When a dictator tells you what he's going to do, he's going to do. And I came to it through a very different means than, than other people. You know, I mean, I, I came through it with really almost a street-like credibility. And I, I came to it in, in you know, in, in not Hong Kong, but in Taiwan, where we were having, we were having some you know, maybe not say 20 years, but 17 years ago, we were having some serious issues with um, um, triads when we opened up, no, maybe 20 years ago, we opened up Apple, opened up Next Magazine and the triad guys kept threatening us, you know, you guys keep doing something and we're going to come up and take care of you. And of course, we wrote another couple of articles and they came up. Now, I must say, it looked like something out of Analyze This with all the fat guys running around. They showed up wearing their triad T-shirts and they were all like these 50 year old men. You know what I'm saying? You're like, and, and they made the mistake of walking into the next magazine, Apple Daily, into the print design center 
where the printing guys were like learning how to print stuff and the sales team. So like, you know, you came into like, the you know, you, if you went to the journalist office, they would have all ran away screaming with their hair on fire, taking notes for their memoir on how scared they were. You know what I'm saying? And um, but the, but but our guys picked up the softball bats and the baseball bats and went at it with them. Um, I, I still just remember seeing these old guys in black shirts with like gold lettering. They were running down the street and they could barely make it. And the cops just pulled up to them on the motor scooters, you know, like, <laughs> it just got them. But my point was, is this, my point is, is like bad guys, when they say they're going to do something, they got to do it. They're just the nature of these guys. You know what I'm saying? It's the reason why when you remember your kid and your dad and mom goes, you got to call a bully on it. A bully will never say, no, a bully's going to pretty much punch you. You know what I'm saying? You know, people, if you stand up to a bully, they'll back down. No, nah, that's not the way it works. If you, if the, the reason why he's a bully is he probably likes to fight. He's probably had some reasonable success in the past. You know what I'm saying? However, when you do stand up to him and you show him the price, you may take a bit of a beating, but he won't come back as long as you can inflict some pain. You know what I'm saying? In other words, it's not worth it for him. You know, I mean, it's it's what I call the Captain America lesson from the movie, actually, where they, you know, if you have to beat, keep beating the guy up, you know, what I'm saying he's like, all right, I'm tired of this after a while or you pay a price. I think Xi Jinping has backed himself into a corner. He's going to have to do something or he's going to have to get some type of concession out of Chai. And that's if I were the if I were the Taiwanese, I'd worry about the Biden administration there. I think I think, you know, I, I saw that guy, Ben Rhodes, over there and you read that Atlantic piece, you know what I'm saying? And it's mm -hmm. almost like saying, well, you know, you can keep your traditional dance and you can have hot pot and your Taiwan noodles will be just as good. You know what I'm saying? All you got to do is, you know, all you got to do is this. It's almost like, you know, you, I almost expect him sometimes to break out into like a song and dance thing. Like, oh, you got to do is this. You know, it's like it's really, <laughs> seriously it's. It's really, it's really bad. And the Taiwanese, unfortunately, um, I'm not so sure. I think Chai is, I, I give her credit. I think she's tougher than we always thought she was. But she's going to be backed into a corner pretty soon. It's, it's no different than, you know, green shirt Zelensky over in Ukraine. It, it, the, the one thing the Republican Congress is going to be very good for, not doing Russia's bidding, but the fact of the matter is, is that we're spending way too much money there. And we need to get these weapons out where it's really in the U.S. strategic interest. I think it's important that you and I differ a little bit on this. I think it's really important that we basically keep Putin at bay. I do not think it's important that we retake all the ground. I think it's basically important that Ukraine survives. Um, I would rather sure. be putting in $10 billion a year in economic aid in the future, you know what I'm saying? I'm fine with that. Then you know, uh, uh, then basically three or four billion dollars. What, what are we giving now? How many billion are we up to now in Ukraine? That's a great question. And there's the, the, the issue of how much has been promised versus actually delivered. So, I yeah. mean, I want to say we're at like 60 billion. Um, but whether yeah, my understanding actual... is, this, I, I thought it was delivered something like 20 billion in aid and stuff like that. But I'd, I'd rather just, I'd rather give the, I mean, because once the Ukrainians stop blowing up stuff, you know, and they get their military and we keep them modern and things like that. You know, they can, re importantly, they can rebuild their air force and they know what they need now to work. They'll have a much better buying program for us. And I think the Ukrainians have done the Taiwanese a huge favor in the sense of showing the Taiwanese, let's get away from this stupid, I, I never liked it, this thing, oh, we'll keep the Chinese from ever landing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we'll keep them from that. But 
The real deterrent is that Xi Jinping has to fight his way ashore, and then he's fighting in the hills and the mountains and everything else for the next four I months. Mean, this was settled so clearly with first the Maginot Line in World War II and then the, yeah. with the Atlantic Wall. I mean, if you put enough force in one area, you're going to get through. You're going to get people ashore now. You don't want to be in the first or second or third wave, but sooner or later, you're going to get a beachhead if you put enough force there. So, you know, taking advantage of make it. You know, you want to make it ungovernable. There's actually, I can't remember, there's a great book on how France was never really conquered. And, and it's the reason why the French are much better than, you know, some of the other countries in terms of fighting. But you did have the Vichy France, but you did have free France. And the Germans did not move around France freely all the time. You know what I'm saying? In other words, like, you know, German, I was reading in the piece one time, like, German patrols, you know, you see in the movies of like two guys walking down the street and Pierre and... Blondine come up and stab him in the hearts. That didn't happen because they moved down the streets in groups of 30 and 40 because they would be, they would be, somebody would take a shot at them. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, they'd have a difficult time. And, you know, and, and in other words, the population never subsided and that became very difficult. Now, of course, the Germans did, you know, roll around the tank place in tanks, just like the Chinese doing in Jing'an. But the point is, is that you've got to be able to fight. And I think that's incredibly important um, for Taiwan. And I think one of the problems we have now is, and I've been raising hell about it over here. In fact, I, that's one of the reasons I saw some of these guys, they came to see me because they're not getting weapons here. Taiwan is not getting the weapons they need. And the Taiwanese are not doing anything about it. They could easily get licensing demand. They make semiconductor chips. They could make freaking Stinger missiles and, and javelins. You know what I'm saying? They, yes. could easily, they could easily do that. Where are the rifles? They don't have enough rifles. They don't have a civil defense. And that's where the U.S. has to step up. And the problem is over at AIT and some of these other places, literally it's like watching. Remember the movie, Charlie Wilson's War, the movie? Everybody remember that with Tom Hanks? Sure, yeah. And the, yeah, good movie, okay. good book. Yep. Yeah, the scene where Tom Hanks is in P Pakistan and he's talking to that guy they call the tool, the CIA guy, and, and the CIA guy is like, you know, we don't want to we don't want to have a major escalation here. That's still the mentality over at AIT. That's still the mentality oh, in the State no, Department. No doubt whatsoever. No. They do not. They do not want weapons coming in here. Oh, it you feels know, very safe I, when, you're, when you're in a crusader castle on the outskirts of town, surrounded by diplomatic security and you know, bulletproof glass and windows, and you have a ticket out of the country if the Chinese do invade. Yeah, these people are. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, it's here. it's it's a huge problem, and people need to start. You know, the Taiwanese and the Americans, and that's the one thing a Republican Congress could do, can do, is, you know, we need to get people like Mike Gallagher, we need to get other people, and they need to come over here, and that's the problem with the damn Taiwanese again, is everybody comes over here and they put them in a freaking bubble wearing a mask around all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so yeah. The Ta a lot of times the Taiwanese, I mean, if, if, if there was a, po if the Chinese came over, did six months, took Taiwan, I think a lot of people would look at it. In other words, I, I think in many ways, sorry to move forward like that. I think in many ways, sometimes I look at China, I think of the, the U.S. ambassador to Kuwait. Yes. I, I, mean, you, you know, I mean, just the wrong message all the time. Right. So for background, so this was the woman, I believe, who said yeah, that Saddam was not going to invade. Was she the ambassador to Iraq or Kuwait? I forget. But basically, so, you know, don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The opposite. And, 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 and in he came. 
to give more uh, just background for for viewers and listeners on AIT, so that's the American Institute in Taipei. That's the de that's facto right. U.S. Embassy right. there. And there's another wrinkle with this, Mark, which is that um, they make the Taiwanese in Washington ask permission before they ask permission to buy arms. So if Taiwan, you know, whether you want to buy a single bullet or an M1 tank or, you know, you name the weapon system, you need permission from the State Department. It's an interagency process. The Taiwan Relations Act creates a process as we're going to sell you the weapons you need for your defense. Uh, but of course, that's, you know, subject to the whims of the executive branch. So Taiwan cannot come out, uh, at least if they play by the rules, which they shouldn't, and just say publicly or directly to the State Department and the Pentagon, hey, I want, uh, you know, 200 harpoon missiles, or I want 50,000 rounds of, or 500,000 rounds, better yet, of, of 20 millimeter ammunition. They have to go to AIT, which is in Roslyn, it's across the river, it's not even at the State Department, and, and start the conversation there and say, pretty please, can we actually put in a request? Um, and, and a lot of times the State Department and AIT say, well, no, we don't want to receive that request right now. It's not a good time. We're in the middle of negotiations with China. We're about to have a breakthrough on climate change and other nonsense like that. So I think Taiwan should break that. I think they should be much more loud, public and direct in Washington, go to the Hill, say what they need. Um, but there's this, uh, this, this problem with, with AIT. It's just a disastrous organization. I you know, Ray Burkhart was there for years, and Ray was like the symbol to me of like he was the wizard at the top that kept the whole crazy kingdom in line. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, Ray could, keep, could give you an honest answer, and they've lost Ray, and they don't have that anymore. Now it's just it's a series of bureaucratic positions that people are moving through, and the whole goal there is not to do anything wrong that upsets the higher powers in China you know, the China team, you know, to upset those people and then move on. The oddity is, the oddity is, I think the administration, this administration, just like the Trump administration, has more appetite for doing things in terms of selling weapons than, um, than the actual bureaucracy. In other words, I think we're in one of those yes minister situations here. You know what I'm saying? And, mm -hmm. and they, just, they, they just don't do it. Now, We'll have to see. The other thing, by the way, on the elections that's going to be interesting out here is the reaction in Southeast Asia um, and, and, and what's happening there in terms of, like, what we're looking for. I think the Filipinos, I think Marcos, Marcos personally is instinctively anti-Chinese. That's just his father's take. His mother is an open racist. <laughs> you, know, she's, you know, she was always been bad. Um, you know, I think I don't even know if she calls him. She, there's some Filipino insult that I've heard her that she calls him. And I and the person who hears it, I, I 100 percent believe. Um, so the, the China and, and the Chinese are very unpopular in the Philippines right now for just a variety of reasons. You know what I'm saying? From running gambling halls to the to the border things and all that stuff. So the Filipinos are someone that we need to really start um, looking at getting some weapons to. Um, and the other thing, too, is, look, as we're as as we're retiring some of these things, uh, somebody sent me something the other day. They were thinking about sending some ex-Navy ships to Latin America. Why? Uh, it's a yeah. waste of time. Send them out to Taiwan. Send them out to the Philippines. Send them to the Indonesians. And that's it. I happen to think I'll get back to the first point I started. I think Xi Jinping broke too early. I think the world is basically, OK, this is what you're going to do. But I believe him. I believe him when he says he's going to do stuff. You know, that's the problem that they had in Hong Kong. All these young kids 
on all these young people. In fairness to my boss, Jimmy, to Cardinal Zinn, they knew what they were going to do. Even the old dogs in the Democratic Party, Martin and some of these guys, God love them, but I don't think they really fully got what communists would do. And I think the reason why is they've never been bosses. It's, it's one of those things, you know, in other words, once you give something, say, say something, you got to do it, you do it. You know, an old management trick I had was taught is if you really need to do something, just announce you're going to do it. You may not know how you're going to do it, but you do it. It's like when Zuckerberg comes out and says, we're cutting 10% of the company. Once he says it, or Musk, I guarantee you they had no idea how they were going to do it. But once you say it, the team will come together and do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and, yes. and that's what we have to do with foreign policy. And they say, we're selling you these things. Take the grief, but deliver the damn weapons. And that's one of the problems with Ukraine. They're sucking everything up. Yes. You know, but the Taiwanese bear a lot of, they look, the Taiwanese need to make themselves up. up. They want to be the porcupine. And I'm so tired. Oh, they're the porcupine. They're not the porcupine. They got right. no spot. They got no pines. You know they got they're 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 basically right now the beaver. <laughs> they need Arm to grow the spines. You're the they're the it's the beaver. They're sitting right. in their mud hut waiting for someone to come along and you know wipe it down. Maybe they're the three little pigs. You know someone comes along and blow their hut puff and puff and blow it down. Well, Xi right. Jinping's he's telling you he's coming by to eat you. He's going to do it. That's what wolves do. You know. So I what last. All right. One uh, last question uh, while we're still in Southeast Asia is that the leader of Vietnam recently paid, I don't know if it was a formal state visit, but there's a lot of pomp and circumstance and communist embrace. He visited Xi Jinping in Beijing. This is a big deal because Xi hasn't received a whole lot of leaders because he is crazy uh, paranoid about the Wu flu that originated from China. Um, Is this just standard sort of uh, keeping up appearances and gardening from one communist official to another, or is there a change in the relationship between Beijing and Hanoi? They hate them still. Yeah. Yeah. They hate each other. Uh, it's, 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 you know, I still remember when we went to I went to Vietnam a, a while back. I, in fact, I went with you know it's, it's, it's in the news. So I went with Jack Keen and and Wolfowitz. We went down there as part of this like tour thing. They <laughs> hate them. I mean, anybody who walked out of there, you know, because because you know they had the, you had the Chinese Communist Party and the Vietnamese Communist Party, and they have like these echelons. And we'd meet with you. I remember we met with a couple of guys from the Ministry of Defense who spoke fluent fluent English. And we're going like, well, it looks like you guys are having talks with them all the time. That it's the political guys. They got to do that bullshit. They got nothing else to do. I mean, literally, that was the answer. I think I'm, I think I'm literally quoting the guy verbatim. You know, he literally said, he goes, how oh, they do that crap. And and this guy had taught. This guy had studied at you know the National Singaporean University NSU or whatever it was. You know, I mean, he's a very nice guy actually. I liked I liked him a lot. You know, it's one of those things. You know, you can tell his father. His father fought like the Americans, like five or six times. And his, he, he told me the story. He said his dad always wanted to go to the U.S. And he applied for a visa and applied for a visa, and he couldn't do it because his father was fairly educated. And he went over. And when he went over, he he basically was, he, he wanted some Vietnamese food. So he went into a Vietnamese place in L.A. And he was having lunch, and, and somebody recognized him as like the former colonel and they were fine. Everybody got along and stuff like that. And he said, 
He said my dad then went and met with some of the like American VFW halls or something like that. Somebody asked him just have an informal lunch, nothing formal. And he said they bonded over their hate of China. <laughs> Which, by the way, I think I think that's working out in the California 45 right now. I think she's going to win. The Korean woman's going to win, right? Okay. Was, yes, I think that's right. This is what the former district kind of straddles part of LA. Yeah. Part of I mean, that, 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 that's, that's a subject down the, down the road there. But no, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, you know, the other thing, too, is about Southeast Asia is, is that, you know, if we think the Chinese are messing around in our political systems, you know, other than Singapore, where the Singaporeans basically will throw their ass right out if they catch them. They really, and they do all the time. It's just, we just don't read about it. Um, other than that, I tend to have a strong belief that they are messing around so bad in so many of the systems, you know what I'm saying? Mar Marcos won so convincingly, you can't really complain about it. But it would have been, but they were in there. They were mucking around there. There's no doubt about that. Huh. Well, one last anecdote on Vietnam. I've been to Hanoi and Saigon, and uh, uh, I like Hanoi a lot better. You know, in Saigon, you go to a museum, they're awfully hard on us, the Americans. But if you go to Hanoi, they're really hard on the French. And it's a nice town, you know. It didn't really get bombed. It's a lot of I, colonial architecture. <laughs> I, I was sitting around one time, and I was having a cigar in Hanoi about 10 years ago. I was, there, I was actually there by myself with nobody else, you know, two nights, um, uh, you know, looking at something for an old boss, looking at looking at looking at a potential deal for him, and I was just sitting out there having a cigar, enjoying myself. And I know this will sound odd, and I'm sure I don't know all the backwards things, but I had gone to mass that evening at the Catholic Church. Okay, now it was in it was in Vietnamese, so I you know I basically stayed stayed 20 minutes and said, "Is that enough, Jesus?" and left and had a cigar and a drink. But I'm sitting there and I'm sitting in this really nice little cafe smoking a cigar. And it was just a very normal place. You know, it, it could have been any other place in Southeast Asia. It didn't have the, the air of oppression. And I'm sure they do. In other words, we don't see it. But here's the thing. I had a conversation. People, other guys were smoking cigars there. China came up. They don't like China. It's a bully China bullies them. They cause them problems. But as a guy said to us one time when we were there with that group, there's 120 million of us and 1.3 billion of them. Get the math. And Taiwan has to understand that math, too. And I think the U.S. has to understand that math. We have to make Taiwan basically a cost too high for them. Yeah. But we're never going to win. In other words, if they really want it, they're going to take it. But the, you have to make the cost so high. You know, that's it. And next time we talk, we can talk about how we do that because I think one of the ways we do it is through currency denial, like we do to the Russians. I'm, I'm working that out in my mind right now. Right, yes. Well, that's might as well use the full spectrum no, of national power that we have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Simon White. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Thank you, Mark Simon from Taipei, and we'll see you again soon. Bye bye.